Uh, again, we'd like to welcome you all. Thank you for being here. And I'm trying to figure out which one is Chelsea and which one is not Chelsea. Where, where, this, you are Chelsea. Okay. Where is your sister? Okay. All right. We won't call her out. Okay. So you're Chelsea. Good. I, I think I did. I think I met most of these people. Yeah. Welcome once again. We're glad you're with us today. I'm sure this is a little different for many of you, but uh, as Ellie explained a few minutes ago, we've been on a journey together as a church. We're trying to be more missional, and we're trying to, to be more community-oriented. And uh, so thank you for experimenting with us. Why don't we just have a prayer, and then we'll get into our teaching this morning. Father in heaven, we just thank you that you are merciful and kind and gracious to us. Thank you for love. Thank you that we are loved by you and we're loved by others. I just pray that we would understand that and pay it forward to others is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you remember when you first fell in love? Some of you may be have not experienced that yet, and that's okay. Some of you may never experience it, and that's also okay. But I'm sure there's a number of you who are here this morning. Certainly, I trust our bride and groom remember when they first fell in love, right? But, <laughs> but many of us probably can think back to those days, the early, the early days of love when that special person, that that young lady, that young man first caught our attention and we experienced butterflies and we experienced joy and bliss and we had late nights where we were talking and we had fun trips and we had gifts and we had all sorts of things that helped us cement ourselves in that love. But I bet that every person has at least one thing in common about falling in love. And that is, when you fell in love, there was something called communication that took place, right? Especially early on. Now, hopefully it keeps going throughout the journey. But especially early on, there was lots of communication. As I said, there were probably many, many late nights where you're on the phone very late talking, right? I think I've shared before uh, some of the early days of Camille and my relationship we first started kind of dating when we were uh, working together at a summer camp not too far from here called Camp Laurelweld. And after the summer ended, or at least the portion of the summer camp ended, I traveled to our family uh, location where we have a, a family vacation home in Nova Scotia, Canada. And so I drove up there, and one of the things that I made sure I did was I want to keep in contact with Camille, right? Because we were falling in love and we want to share with one another our emotions and our thoughts and our feelings and our stories and we want to share about our day. And so when I was there in Nova Scotia, we did not have a way to call each other because we were in a different country and our phone wasn't working. And we didn't in those days have, this was a long time ago, I'm dating myself, we didn't have iPhones, I know it's hard to imagine that, that there was ever a time when that happened. But we didn't have iPhones, so we couldn't do FaceTime. And plus, we don't have Wi-Fi at our place in Canada. But what we did have was an Internet cafe in town. And I would drive every day faithfully downtown 
to go to that internet cafe and for a toonie. Anybody here from Canada? Anyone know what a toonie is? It's a $2 coin. A loonie is $1. Toonie is $2. For a toonie, I could pay, I could, I could hook onto the internet and I would prodigiously, I would devotedly check my email. Did Camille email me? And I'd be so excited when I saw that name there, Camille Truby, you know, uh, unread message. And I would devour that email, and I would, I would hear about the things that were going on with her back in Maine. And then, of course, I would send off an email detailing the things that had happened to us during that day, you know, playing baseball as a family, going swimming, eating blueberry pudding and all this stuff. And every day for two weeks, I would faithfully go check my email and send her emails. Because here's a very, very simple and elementary truth about love. Love communicates, doesn't it? Love communicates by its very nature. You know, there's an interesting, there's an interesting introduction that a writer named John who was writing about the, love, the life of Jesus, he introduces the whole story about 2,000 years ago. And his very first words, and some of you probably are familiar with those words, but his very first words are a very interesting introduction to who this whole Jesus man is. It's found in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1, and these words are written by John. By the way, I forgot to mention that after Camille and I sort of, uh, well, after Camille and I got married, she actually took all of those emails and she printed them off and she put them in a binder. And so it's there in this binder. You can go to our house and you can read about our life. And every night before she goes to bed, she reads that binder. And I'm just kidding. No, but, but that, that binder full of emails sort of became scripture in some ways. And I use that term very loosely. But it became almost like scripture. But I want to go back to John. Let's go back to John, John chapter 1. These words, again, some of you are very familiar with them, but one of the most fundamental principles of love is that love communicates. Let's keep that in our minds. Let's go to John chapter 1. These three words, in the beginning. This is how John starts his whole story. In the beginning. And anyone who knows scripture at all, and some of you who maybe aren't even as familiar with it, you know that these three words are actually the first three words way back in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. The whole story, the whole narrative of Scripture begins with these three words. And so John is turning our minds back to that, 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 that narrative, back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where the author says, in the beginning, what happened? Anybody know? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the author of Genesis now explains the creation of the universe and the creation of the world and the creation of all that's included in those spheres. And so John, when he's writing this story of the life of Jesus, he goes back to Genesis and he plays off that theme. But there's a very interesting thing that he does when he goes and he explains the life of Jesus. He says, in the beginning, not God, but in the beginning was the 
was the Word. That's how John chooses to describe Jesus. That's how he chooses to explain this person who comes in human flesh. He calls him the Word. It's as though he's saying at God's very fundamental being, he is a God of communication. He is a God of conversation. He is a God who wants to share ideas with us. Because John will, by the way, come along a little later on and say that God is love. And we know intuitively as human beings, as relational beings, as emotional relational beings, that at the core of love is this idea of communication. And so John is helping us see that at his very nature, God is a communicating God. There's one way that another translation puts this, and I really, really like it. It's called the voice translation. But notice how it's put in this version. Before time itself was measured, the voice was speaking. The voice. The voice was and is God. Just this idea of communication, this idea that, that God fundamentally has this at the core of who he is, that he is a communicating God. Now, many of us perhaps think that that's nothing that's that big a deal. But, you know, there are certain worldviews, certain perspectives on God that do not believe that God is a communicating God. I know that there are many people in my spheres of, of my circles of influence here in this Bangor area who are essentially, they are deists. Have any of you ever heard of the idea of deism? I don't want to get all technical on you, but probably many of you know already. But a deist is basically a person who does believe that God exists, but that God does not interact with and meddle in the affairs of his creation. So God basically started creation way back when, and then he just stands back and, and, and doesn't interfere with it anymore. He just allows the laws of nature to govern everything that happens. So there's no miracles there's no God intervening in human affairs. There certainly isn't a virgin birth. There's no resurrection. But these people still believe in God. They just don't believe that God involves himself in the affairs of human history. And certainly God does not communicate with his creation. Now some of us might be sitting here and we think thinking to ourselves, well, that's a crazy idea. Why would anyone ever think that? But we have to be generous with this perspective because there are some people who are actually trying to let God off the hook by allowing for this idea. For example, I, I don't want to go too far down this road, but I just, want to, I just want to make this point. So every week I go and I spend time with a group of Jewish people. One of the rabbis in the community is a, a good friend of mine, and so we get together every week. And one of the things that comes up is he says to me, do you pray? And I said, well, yeah, I pray. He goes, do you believe that prayer works? And I said, yes, I believe that prayer works. And he says, you, and, and rather incredulously, he says, huh, you actually believe that God will listen to your prayers and answer them? Now, this is a rabbi, and some of you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, this guy's a rabbi. How does that work? But what you have to understand is this is somebody who's coming from a community that has suffered the loss of six million people in something called the Holocaust. And so if you come and you tell me that God answers your prayers and that he let you get that job promotion, what does that say for the six million Jews that were praying 
that their lives would be preserved. Now, that's a whole issue, I understand. Like, we could, we could unpack that in a different sermon. But just note that there are some people for whom the idea that God actually cares and communicates and involves himself in human history is a very troubling thought, not because they don't believe in God, but because they do believe in God, they just want to give him a pass. Because it's, it, it's more palatable for them to have a God who exists but doesn't involve himself in human affairs than to have a God who apparently has favorites and didn't spare six million Jews but apparently cares if you get a new car for Christmas. Like, what kind of God is that? As I said, that's a whole other issue. Did I open a can of worms that I'm just going to leave? Okay, good. Come back next week. Um, I'm not going to address that, but still come back next week. But Scripture comes along, and it makes this audacious claim that God is the Word. God communicates. God steps down, and he... He interacts with his creatures. You know, if you were to go back into what is called the Old Testament, the portion of scripture that is pointing ahead to Jesus, you would notice these words that come up over and over again. And the Lord said to Moses. That's that's quite a bold claim. I mean, some of us who have read these sorts of things before, we maybe don't stop to think about just how scandalous that idea is. There's many different religions in the world, and some have different perspectives on how God interacts with humanity, but at the core of the Christian message is this personal God that personally communicates and has conversations with his creatures. You know, this this phrase, and the Lord said to Moses, is repeated 57 times throughout what is called the Pentateuch or the Torah. And again and again and again, the Lord said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, what this book is proposing is that God does indeed involve himself in humanity and human history. And God does speak into the lives of humanity. Now, of course, then you go on and you have the prophets. And the prophets, whether it's Isaiah or Jeremiah or all of these people who are claiming to be messengers on behalf of God, there are story after story where God is speaking to them and they are communicating a message from God to human beings. Now, you and I can sit here and we can try to figure out, okay, is this true or is this not true? What do I make of this? How do I interact with this? But all I'm I'm telling you is that the Bible makes this claim. And you and I, when we come face-to-face with it, have to make a decision. Do I really believe that this is a word from God or do I believe it's simply human invention? Now, you and I actually come from a community of faith, the Seventh-day Adventist community of faith, that has a little different take on just how the Bible is inspired. There are many Christians who believe that the Bible is basically God using a pen and writing the exact things he wants. But the Bible is a little mysterious at the same time. It is God speaking to human beings and them writing in their words what he has inspired and impressed them to write. There's this this almost dance that God does with the, the, the human writers. And so there's, there's room for growth among those writers. Not everything has to be exactly 100% factual 
Like when John says there was three people and then Matthew says there was two, we don't say, oh my goodness, the whole thing has to be called off because they contradict each other. Like we're not, we're not bothered by that. But we believe nevertheless that the Bible is a binder full of emails from a God of love who is wanting to communicate with his creatures. I mean, why would there be a God who didn't want to communicate with those that he has created? Think about that. Why would, why would, why would there be a God like that? I love this quotation from a good friend of mine, Ty Gibson. He says, It logically follows that a God of self-giving love who would create others in his image would be a communicator by nature since communication is intrinsic to the healthy operations of love. We would expect that a God of love would naturally want to be known by those he has made. That makes sense, right? And this is precisely what we find to be the case. Here we encounter the most incredible thing imaginable. The most powerful person in the universe, none other than God, doesn't want to dominate us by his power, but rather he desires to befriend us by means of communication, by making himself known to us. And this explains why God has given us a book composed of words. The Bible makes the bold claim that it is God's communication device, but remember what Jesus said, friendship is the goal of his communication to us. The Bible is not intended to exert coercive authority over our rational process and demand blind compliance. Big words, right? You get it, though? Those are some $10 words. The Bible claims, rather, to be the medium through which God discloses his love and opens the way for us to know him. Isn't that beautiful? This is what this, this, is what this book is all about. It's not about God trying to overpower us with his authority and saying, you better follow me or else. And the Bible is not a, a book of rules. The Bible is a beautiful unfolding story of God's love. And he's inviting us into that story to encounter his love through its pages. That's why as we move forward, the next four weeks, I'm going to speak on our values as a church. Some of you are familiar with those already, but I thought we would start the new year by encountering the values we have as a church family. We have four values. And I'll just recap those quickly for those of you who won't be here next week. Some of you won't be here next week, right? But most of you will be. But number one, we, are, we value, we are a church that values disciple making. And I'm tempted to preach a whole sermon on each one of those right now, but I'll hold off, okay? No. <laughs> number two, we are a church that that, that has a value of community and connection. Number three, we are a church that values inclusivity and recovery. And number four, we are a church that values creativity. But at the foundation to all of those values is the word of God. Those values are born out of the word of God, and they expound and explain the word of God. So I want to challenge you this year. I know it's right before the new year, and um, you know people start these little plans where they're going to read through the Bible in a year, right? Have you ever done that? Ah, uh, cool. How many of you didn't get through like Leviticus? <laughs> yeah. It's always Leviticus. That poor Leviticus. <laughs> I tell you, I've done. It, I've read through the Bible twice, and it's one of the best experiences I've ever had. 
just so enriching. And I would invite you to enter into that experience of encountering Scripture, not, again, as a book to solve your theological curiosity, but as a book that you understand God is speaking to your heart. One of the times I read through the Bible, I did it in a month. I decided I'm just going to go through it in a month. One of my friends and mentors in college, Dwight Nelson, he does that every single year. And I said, I'm going to try it. And I tell you what, that was a wild ride. 40 chapters a day. And uh, I got through the end of that, and I was like, I have no idea what I just read because <laughs> none of that stuff fits in those boxes that I've created. Like, it's a, it's a wild book. I see a hand right here. I will recognize my brother-in-law. That's another question. That's an inside joke. We can talk. That's cheating. Thank you. We settled it. We settled it. We were having an argument the other night. It wasn't an argument. It was a discussion. When you, when you listen to audiobooks, how many of you listen to audiobooks? How many of you say you read audiobooks? No, you don't read audiobooks. You listen to audiobooks. Anyway, we lost our momentum. I was coming in for the appeal, Garrett. Thank you. Um, no, but, yeah, just, just get into the word. You know, Scripture says, Paul says, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You can't grow in, you can't grow in life if the word of God is not at your foundation. So I want to invite you to do that. I've told the story before here, but many of you were not here. When I was 17 years old, back working at that camp I mentioned, when I was 17, before I worked that summer, my birthday always starts at the beginning, well, it's relatively near the beginning of summer, for those of you who want to get me a present, July 7th. Um, And we were having a birthday party, and my parents gave me this gift. I was 17 years old, and I opened it up, and it was a Bible. And you know what I said? Oh, man, come on. How tacky is that, a Bible? Like, and the next day I went and started working at Camp Lorwell, where some of you were our campers, including Chelsea, right? No, never were? Okay. Courtney was. I know Courtney. I thought Chelsea was as well. Uh, but anyway, I started reading that book, and it captivated me. It just, it just grabbed me. And I fell in love with it. And I've been such a huge devourer of Scripture ever since. And if you're sitting here and say, I don't know how to read it. I don't know what to do. I, don't, I get lost in it. We can have that conversation afterwards. And we can talk. But the Word has power. The Word has power. So our church family, we're going to live out our values as we stand upon the Word of God. Does that sound like a good deal? All right. Now we're going to stand up and we're going to sing one more song, softly and tenderly.